Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the weekend edition of a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 14th, 2021, and my name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, March 12th, 2021, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting is 16571, 16,571. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting, the share ID number is 16572, 16,572. This morning, A Vision for You presents, We Stood at the Turning Point. And what a thrill to join each other this morning to learn more about this fascinating, pivotal appeal. A powerful presentation is just before us. I'm glad that we're all here together. I wanted to read for just a moment from page 59 in our big book. That's where you'll find this particular title of this meeting today. We'll be curious about whether or not our our speaker will be using it. And we're going to look at the top of 59 where I'll just say this. First paragraph, half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We ask his protection and care with complete abandon. In literature, the turning point or the climax is the point of high tension in the narrative. It's the most exciting and the revealing part of the story. It leads the rising action into the falling action before a story is resolved and reaches its conclusion. Everything holds to it. And we're at the edge of our seats, aren't we? Finding out what that particular thing is. This is riveting, isn't it? Just the sound of the word tension in the narrative, and in this case, the narrative of our lives as compulsive overeaters, sums up the difference emotionally and practically around what we will face, what we are asking of ourselves in order to live, to really live. Until we come to the sum of all the fragmented components of the debates in our heads and in our lives, which brings us right smack dab in front of the pivotal proverbial fork in the road, there will be no recovery. There'll be no recovery. The big book teaches extensively, directly and indirectly about turning over and over again. We'll see these things in just the idea of what it was like the moment I decided I needed help to where it happens when I cross that threshold. We'll talk about it again in, in seeing something different about the way we think and we feel and we react to life. We'll see it again in our four step where it, we went from outward blaming the world to inward understanding we had an untreated disease. That's all it was. We will also go through it again in our, our 10 steps on a regular basis, daily basis, on where something has disturbed us and we need to bring it back to the, to the evidence of the disease untreated again and where that needs to go. We're turning our will and our lives over. We're turning it over, the whole thing. I must turn all things over to the Father of Light made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The big book goes on and on and on. We are to make a complete 180-degree turn from what was once to the promise of what will be. Yet there's something different about we stood at the turning point. It goes on to say we we asked his protection and care with complete abandon. These two lines go together. It is the apex of the narrative. There is a reason that the author knows to add the second line. We need this sort of free fall outlook as a major SOS. 
Here we are. This turning point is a decision that utterly caps all others. We have made sincere decisions, but this one somehow sinks into the marrow of our bones, of our soul. This one, this time, comes to us. It almost seems to happen to us. It stages itself as irrevocable. We stood at the turning point. We came face to face with it all, deep within. It's not enough to consider what it used to be like. It pays now to consider what it will be. What will it be? We pour over it. It is absolutely compelling, compelling rather. Again, this time, this turning point holds all of the hope of our answered prayers. What will it be if I choose? My prayer is for no one ever again to go to the better end, but to come to that turning point and choose. Today, our guest speaker will share from her personal story just how she found herself standing at the turning point, how exciting it will be to hear what happened and what it's like now for her since the decision has been made, that irrevocable decision. That's never happened in our lives, right? Our hope is that each of you will find yourself within her story so that you too will find recovery. Stand with us, to, stay with us to the end of this this particular presentation today. Miracles abound and are promised in these rooms within this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's for everyone. A vision for you is honored to welcome our guest speaker to the line this morning. She is our sister from up north. We're grateful to have her in the Fellowship of Recovered Compulsive Overeaters. Her strength and wisdom from trudging this road daily will surely be a blessing to us all. Please help me welcome to the line this morning our guest, and we're delighted to to have you this morning, Kristen T. Good morning to you. Hi, Crystal. Good morning, I'm Melanie. sorry. Crystal, let's go with the right word here. Crystal, good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Crystal P. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Canada. I'm so grateful to share this story with you today. The story I'm sharing with you today is not my story because my story would have been a tragic story of a 30-year-old woman who died much before, you know, she should have. The story I'm sharing with you today is the story of what God has done for me, because there is no reason that I should be alive today but for the grace of God and these steps. When I came into program, I I was binging. I was 30 years old. I was binging every single day. Food was never allowed for me. It didn't need, why should food shout? All it needed to say was a very soft voice just you know what, be nice tonight, and that's it. I would jump. Food said jump. I said how high. I had gotten to the point where I had, there was no promises. I didn't wake up on Monday promising not to eat anything. I woke up on Monday fully knowing that I am going to eat what I'm going to eat, and there's not one thing I either can or want to do about it. And uh, that was just physically, and then mentally, emotionally, I was a shell of a human being. I was I was really essentially a child sitting in a 30-year-old body. I couldn't handle any responsibility. I, I couldn't behave like an adult. I had no relationships, really. I mean, other people were in relationship with me. I just wasn't in relationship with them because I didn't know how to be. All I knew how to do was take hostages. Either you keep me safe, you do what I want you to do, or I'll self-destruct. That's not a relationship. And I was afraid all the time. I couldn't even tell you what I was afraid of, Because fear was just like a hum in the back of my mind, in the back of my heart, in the gut of my stomach. That's how I lived. And and physically, I was, I'd gotten to about, uh, you know, 
over 250 pounds. I stopped weighing myself, uh, but I was only five feet tall. So that actually took a serious toll on my body. Um, that kind of weight on me actually affected my hormones so deeply that it made me extremely anemic. So at 30 years old, I was, I was in the ER more times than a 30-year-old should ever be in the ER. You know, I, there were days when because of my anemia, I, I, would, I could barely take in any breath. Like it felt like I was asphyxiating. Like in a five to six hour period, I would take in one or two full breaths of air that went into my lungs. It, it's terrifying. And none of it made any difference. And the really scary part was I lived in a total delusion of thinking I had a perfect life. I had all these, you know, I had a good job, all these awards in, a, in the showcase that told me I was smart and successful. I had friends, uh, you know, who stuck with me through all of this craziness. I had a loving family, got to go on trips, buy nice things. I thought my life was perfect. And if I could just lose a little weight, everything would just be amazing. That's the delusion that I lived in being so close to death and not even realizing it, just happily going on for the ride. So what happened to me was at some point I got a new family doctor and I went to, she did, you know, all of my tests and things and I finally went in to see her and she pulled out that awful, you know, that BMI chart um, and, and showed it to me and said, Crystal, you're not on the chart anymore. Because you're only five feet tall at your weight, you're not even on the chart. If you lose 100 pounds, uh, you will finally be in the obese category. And if you don't lose 100 pounds, you're not going to live very long at all. You're, you're in serious trouble here. And I remember being so shocked to my core that I said, you know, okay, all right, like, I get it. I get it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll pull out the diets and I'll, I'll go to the gym and I'll, I'll get started, you know. And, and my doctor said, no, don't bother. No one's ever lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for a significant period of time. You need to do the bariatric surgery. First of all, that shocked me that somebody needed to surgically alter me to make me stop eating food. That just rocked me to my core that my doctor didn't even think I could do it. And second of all, let's be honest, I went home and I Googled the bariatric surgery and I saw what you had to eat after the surgery. And I knew there's no way. Nothing is like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll eat a lot of food and I'll get sick. That happens already. I'll, I'll do it anyway. And I saw, I saw the word cottage cheese and it was just hell no. Absolutely not. You know, that option was off the table. And after that, I, I happened to be, I was uh, on a pilgrimage in France with my best friend. And we both knew that, you know, something needed to happen we, with my weight. We just didn't know what it was going to be. And because I told her about all of this. And we were sitting in this French cafe and I'm eating, you know, this French bread and butter and, you know, enjoying myself. And my friend looks over at me and she's like, oh, you know, I guess that's the last time you'll get to do that. So you should, you better enjoy it. And I remember in my mind, I, the only word that came to me was, no, I don't care what happens. I will eat myself to death. I will die, but I will not stop eating the food I want to eat. I'll pretend for everyone else like I'm doing something about this, but I will die eating what I want to eat. And what's really frightening is that it never occurred to me that that is an insane thought. You know, the next day after I had that, I made that decision, which I thought was a very solemn decision. You know, I was standing at this place and I was praying and lighting these candles. And, um, and I remember thinking, you know, Crystal, like, you made a really, like, that's an important decision you made yesterday. Like, you should probably, you know, confirm that that's your mode of action. And in that moment, I just couldn't bring the decision back. There's no earthly way for me to explain this, but I was so convicted 24 hours before and it was just gone. 
And I remember saying to God, I was like, okay, God, I can tell you have removed this decision from me, but you need to supply the solution because I don't know what to do. I've tried everything else. Nothing has worked. So you need to step up here and show me what I'm supposed to do. And when I came back from that trip, my best friend called me up one day and said, hey, you know, I was watching this show on Netflix called This Is Us. And there's a girl in that show who, um, you know, goes to a food addiction program. And I looked it up. You know, there's actually a meeting in, your, in, you know, in Mississauga. Please don't be mad at me. If you want, I'll come with you. Because all my friends knew if they gave me any kind of weight loss solution, it's like the phone goes click. I, I'm not interested, you know. And for the first time, miracle of miracles, I didn't click the phone. Like I, I said, okay, I'll go. You know, and I showed up at that meeting and there was, there was like one recovered person and two other newcomers. It was so, such a small meeting, but I heard something. I heard something there that I hadn't heard before. I heard the root cause of my problem. It wasn't a Band-Aid solution. Somebody finally knew what was wrong with me. So I jumped in, you know, I got a sponsor, um, except that I, I got a sponsor and I started playing around, right? Like I tried the easier, softer way. Basically, I did everything but what the sponsor told me to do. I, you know, worked it like a diet, didn't do any of the steps until finally, you know, um, for me with my story, my sponsor, you know, was, had to be clear with me. She said, look, I, I see that you've put the food down, but you're not working the steps. That's a diet, Crystal. That's not this program. And if you're not ready, that's okay. Call me when you are, but I have to work with someone who wants to work the steps. And that shocked me, me, the overachiever, you're dumping me. And it, it shocked me to the core so much so that I finally, I started to take this seriously. And that's when I put down, I put down all the food, all the behaviors, all the quantities. And I, I got desperate because I had no way to live life without any of those things. So I got desperate. And that's when I actually um, made a big decision, which was I fired my mind. Like I stopped, you know, my mind no longer had a say in whether I did or did not do something. If my sponsor said to do it, my slogan was get it done. Nobody asked you if you liked it. Nobody thought, asked you if you thought it was a great idea. Nobody asked you if you could get, get the exact same result a different way. Just do what she says, when she says, how she says it. So I started doing that. And the third thing that happened was I started working with a big book sponsor. And I started calling into a vision for you. And that's when, like, recovery just, it was like fuel to the fire. And it just, miracles started happening and they didn't stop. And they haven't stopped since. Um, since then, you know, like, I'm unrecognized. I don't recognize myself. I don't know who that girl was before recovery. Like, physically, I lo- I've lost over 100 pounds. I actually don't know how much I've lost because um, I don't step on a scale at all. I don't care. Um, but I'm in a normal body, body weight. And I think the best, the best evidence is the fact that my dad doesn't recognize me. Um, you know, I see him at church and, and I'll wave at him and he won't wave back to me and he'll come up to me after church and be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just don't recognize you sometimes, you know, actually my favorite story is, uh, trying to explain to border security why I don't look like the person on my passport. Um, but yeah, like physically I'm completely transformed mentally my obsession has been removed i don't wake up a single day grieving or worrying about my binge foods it's like there's no grief it's in fact it's good riddance like you almost killed me you all you took 30 years of my life i'm not going to give you a second more like good riddance to you emotionally i've grown up so much i do hard things now you know i i don't use and manipulate people I'm, i'm in actual relationships where i don't control other people 
My fears are being removed one day at a time. Slowly, they're being shaved off from me. You know, um, the, I'm, I'm amazed by the emotional recovery that I've experienced in this program. But I think the thing that has changed the most, the biggest transformation that, you know, probably anybody outside of me couldn't see, but I feel every single day is my spiritual transformation. And let me tell you, this is a shock to me because if, if you had to ask me when I joined the program, what would be the biggest transformation, I would not have picked spiritual. I was the most religious person you could have ever, that ever walked into program, I swear. Like, you know, my family members came to me and would be like, Crystal, can you please pray for this? Because we know God listens to you. I would, I would give talks publicly about my faith. I was so sure I was becoming a nun. I was just so sure. I was like holiness in like personified. I was just one step away from becoming a canonized saint. I was kind of subconsciously keeping my diaries because people will probably want to read my writings, you know, the writings of St. Crystal at some point, you know, and I would tell everybody how good and kind and loving and merciful God is. And and if they ever didn't believe it, I would, I would convince them, you know, how good God is. Um, What happened is I, I got abstinent, started working the steps, Actual life started happening to me, unadulterated, no anesthetic. I was outside a bubble, you know. And what I started to notice, actually, I don't even know if I noticed it, but my sponsor and and my fellows started to point out to me that the way I was acting and reacting to life showed clearly that the God I actually believed in was not the God I was talking about to other people. The God I actually believed in was really, really small. And, and he looked a lot and sounded and acted a lot like me. You know, uh, it, was, it was a very frightening God, like very harsh, very exact, very unforgiving, and very careless with my feelings. You know, he kind of treated me like collateral damage. You know, if, if the, ends, um, ju- the ends justify the means, you know, um, that kind of a God. And, um, and as I recovered, life started getting bigger. Things started happening. And I, I would keep getting to a point where that understanding of God just couldn't work anymore. It could not restore me to sanity when I needed it to. And that's where, at every moment, I faced turning points. And the turning point was either I could, I, I could hold on to that old belief, that old idea of God, and continue to act and react to life using that, and continue to be in pain, or I could let it go and embrace a new a bigger and all-encompassing God. And let me tell you, this is not easy. This was probably the most painful part of recovery for me. And most of the time, the pain of holding on to the old idea had to be greater than the pain of, led, of embracing a new idea. You know, I have a fellow that says, the most painful moment is the moment just before I drop into powerlessness, the moment of the turning point. You know, so today I'm going to share with you some of the main turning points that transformed my relationship with God as I worked the steps. The first one um, was well, the first pattern that I that I sort of I, that my sponsor pointed out to me was that I treated God like an answering machine or like a magic eight ball. You know, I would go to God and I would give God choices. It would be like, God, should I do A or should I do B? I would give I would give God ultimatums. Like just this last summer, I was I wanted to do a renovation. And it was like, okay, God, you know, should I do the renovation? I really want to do the renovation right now in August, you know. But, you know, if you want, okay, fine. You know, I'll let go of what I want and I'll do it in January. Tell me which one I need to do. 
now or January? You know, and my sponsor pointed out to me, she's like, Crystal, why are you giving God ultimatums? There's a whole world of life between now and January. Have you considered that God may have other choices? Maybe it's not right now. Maybe you're not ready to do it right now, but maybe you'll be ready in a week, maybe two weeks. Have you considered that God knows so much more than you, that the world is so much bigger than your little choices? And that's where my sponsor taught me that God is not an answering machine or a magic eight ball. You know, and she pointed, and the way she taught that to me, she pointed out this line in the big book, which is my favorite line on page 59. I say it every single day, and I go to it multiple times in the day. We stood at the turning point. And what she asked me is, Crystal, what do we do at the turning point? We don't ask for the answer. We don't ask, should I go left or right? Should I do A or B? We just ask for protection and care with complete abandon. So today, when I feel what um, a a dear fellow of mine calls the greed leaves, you know those moments where I can't bear to be in my own skin, like my mind is spinning, I I don't know what to do, there's decisions and I don't know how to make them and I'm just stuck, you know, in that awful place where um, I'm having, I'm basically having an alcoholic reaction to usually what is a normal situation. You know, I get down on my knees and I say to God, God, I am powerless over the situation I'm powerless over the people involved. I'm powerless, especially even over my own reactions to this. I can do nothing about the fact that my mind is spinning. And I'm turning it all over to you. And I, it like, it's like a whole weight that's on my shoulder. I literally just like give it all to God. And then I say, God, I'm standing at the turning point, And I'm only asking for your protection and care with complete abandon. No matter what I choose, no matter what happens. Please just show me what's the next right thing to do. And usually the next right thing is, Crystal, go make your lunch. Crystal, go brush your teeth. Crystal, go call your sponsor. It's usually a really simple thing. It's never anything dramatic. But whatever I get back in that moment, I do it like my life depends on it because my life does. And that's how I, have, I, I live with God today. No answers, no ultimatums, just protection and care. The second pattern that came up was I had a very formal God. Like I treated God like he had to be very, very formal, very distant, very proper, you know. And then about a, uh, about a year after recovery, I, I dated someone for the first time, you know, at, at age 31. I'd never dated anyone before. And it ended very quickly um, because it just, it wasn't the right, uh, you know, relationship. And suddenly I was faced with heartbreak. It was unadulterated pain that I have never felt before. Um, I mean, really, I had never felt unadulterated pain because I didn't know how to live life without food at all. And I just could not, like, it was just too much for me. I did not know how to deal with it. And just as a side note, you know, when our sponsors tell us not to date, you know, uh, a year in recovery, they mean it. Like, take it from me. It's it's not worth it, you know. Um, But I struggled. And, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't know how to react. I was... I, I was working the steps every single day like a crazy person because I, was, I just didn't know how else to do it without the food. And, and I was in full obsession mode, you know, like I would, um, I, I would be thinking about this guy all the way until 3 a.m. at night. And then, you know, all the things that could have been, should have been, would have been, if only I had done this, if only it, it had been like this. And then I would sleep for like an hour and a half, wake up at 5 a.m. and start, it would start all over again. Like I worked myself up into a complete, you know, mess. And every day I would call my sponsor, call fellows, work the steps. And, and by the end of the night, I was still back in that place, you know. 
And finally, there was one night I, I was crying for the 10th day on the phone, you know, and finally it was 10 p.m., you know, I'm sitting in my living room. And at this point, no human power can help me. At this point, I need a power greater than me. And that's where I had to turn to God. And a formal, distant God just could not do. I needed a real, present God that was on that couch with me. And that's the moment where I said, God, this is too much pain. I cannot handle it. Like, you need to show up right now. Like, right now, you need to give me a real solution right now. And I don't know why I did this. I don't, like, I don't even know. You know, I, I, I can't even tell you where this idea came from. But I got up. The lights in my condo were off. I turned on these little twinkly lights, these fairy lights that I had, you know, on my windows. And I turned on my phone and I put on this song by Elton John. It's called Your Song. I love that song. And in the middle of my living room, I put my arms up and I danced with God. I slow danced with him. And I'm sure if anybody, because I have wall-to-wall windows, if anyone was looking into my condo, I, I, I must have looked crazy. I don't care. I know I was not alone in that living room. I danced with God slowly. I put my head on his chest. I could hear his heart breathing. I could feel his head against the nape of my neck. And I cried my eyes out, you know. And the reason I know that I wasn't alone in that living room is because that night I slept like a baby. I didn't think about that guy even once. I was restored to sanity, you know. And that's what I was at the turning point and I let go of the old idea for the new. The next pattern that came up for me was I had this idea, like this very frightening God that was always disappointed in me. That's how I treated God, you know, this, that he's like very frightening and, and he's just always disappointed. And so the way that manifested for me is that what I would do is because I was so afraid of God, uh, I would find other people. And I would put them up on a pedestal and be like, okay, you, you're going to save me. You're going to keep me safe. And then I would do and say whatever I needed to do and say to make sure that they were on my side, that they liked me and that they were going to keep me safe. And that meant a lot of times I manipulated and I was dishonest with them. I pretended to like things that they liked. I pretended to agree with things that they agreed with. You know, um, I manipulated them. And in this particular situation, somebody I cared about very, I care about very, very deeply found out that I had been lying and manipulating them. And it jeopardized our relationship. They had to step away and decide whether this is a relationship they wanted to be in. And that rocked me to my core. Not only the fact that I'd hurt someone I cared about so deeply, not only the fact that I was about to lose a relationship that was so important to me, but now I had just lost my God. You know, I was, I now had no God and I was on my knees. It was possibly the most painful thing I've ever been through in program. And I had to ask the painful question. Why was the pedestal empty in the first place? What was so wrong with my God that God wasn't already up on that pedestal to begin with? And that's when I realized that the way I saw God was that God had these very precise instructions. And if I misheard, misunderstood, made any mistakes um, and got it wrong, uh, bad things would happen to me. And you know what happened was actually, it was through some outside help. I, I did this exercise where this person encouraged me to say out loud all the things I thought God was saying to me. And I was so shocked by what came out. What came out was, Crystal, you are such a disappointment. Like you're such a drama queen. This is not hard. You just make things hard. 
Like, I gave you so many gifts. I gave you this brain. I gave you this this talent. And you just, like, you just make a big deal out of nothing, and you just waste it all. You know, like, you're such a disappointment. And in that moment, when I said those, actually said those words out loud, I realized for the first time that that wasn't God's voice. I recognized that voice. Some of those things, I mean, some of those things were just the things I say to myself. But one or two of those things, I had once, I would heard my parents say to me, you know, my parents love me very, very much. And, and they've always loved me. But sometimes they have said those things to me, you know. And I had put that voice on God. And then I was encouraged, okay, can we put that other voice aside for a second? Let's try and say now what we think God is actually saying to you. And that also shocked me. Because I, I, if anything, I would have thought God would say, no, Crystal, you're not a disappointment. You're, you're definitely not a drama queen. You know, I love you and everything's going to be okay. And that's not what came out. What came out of me was, Crystal, you are a drama queen. And I love it. I am just as dramatic as you. And I love being dramatic with you. You know? And what God said to me in that moment is, you know, I love you so much. If you could only know, like, you needed to put this voice on me for so long and I let you because you weren't ready. But just know that I am fighting for you. The reason you are here today at this turning point is because I have not stopped fighting for you for the last 30 years. You don't have to try and find me. You don't have to try and fix this relationship with me. You just keep doing what you're doing. You just keep working the steps, doing your best in program. I will come and get you. Because more than the fact that this hurts you, any barrier between you and me hurts me. And I can't bear it. And I will keep fighting until every barrier between you and me is gone. And in that moment, I let go of that old idea of God. And today I have a God. I don't have, like God, my, my old idea of God was that I had to get God on my side. Today, God is not on my side. God is by my side. He walks by me every day. The next one that came up for me was um, I had a withholding God. I treated God like, you know, I would, pre- I would pretend I didn't want things that I really wanted because if God figured out that I liked it, he would take it away from me or he would withhold it from me. You know, um, an example or a situation where this came up was um, I applied, I'd been looking for a job, you know, I, I was in a, a, a job that I wanted to leave and I'd been looking for a new job and I applied for one that was just perfect for me. Oh my goodness. Like I read this company's motto and they had me at hello. I was like, this is the job for me. And I applied for the job and I didn't even get an interview. And it was further evidence. See, God, you know, withholds from you the things that you want. It's because you wanted it so much. You know, you showed him that you liked it. That's why it was taken away from you, you know. And I continued to live life like this. And then what happened is over the next few months, it was incredible. Like all these character defects of mine kept coming up at work, you know, and I kept uh, bringing them to my sponsor and working the steps to them, I, through them, I noticed that, I, you know, my sponsor started pointing out to me, Crystal, you're eating your meals at work. Like my, I would come to work late, first of all, and then sit down and, you know, spend my sweet time eating my breakfast at work for a good hour before I deigned to start working. I would, you know, I would use my work laptop for my personal um, use. I would use my work phone for my personal use. I would... Um, I would, I would not dress up for work at all, not because of anything, but just because why bother? Like, I can get away with it. Why not? I can show up however I want. I don't have to show up as my best self to work. 
because I'm worth it. You know, I'm smart enough. They, they, they should want me anyways. Um, and I, the other big pattern I realized is I never did what my boss wanted me to do. I would always decide, I would decide what was the important thing to do, and I would work on that. I would never do what she actually wanted me to do. And all of these character defects kept coming up, and slowly, by working the steps through them, I would have to give them up. And trust me, it's not easy. Like, when you actually have to wake up an hour early to have breakfast at home, and when you actually have to shell out hundreds of dollars to buy your own laptop, and put your pride aside and work on the, the thing that you think is actually really stupid, but it's what your, your leader wants you to work on, these are not easy things to do. But in working the steps, God removed these character defects from me, and I started to become a different person at work. And a couple of months later, that exact same job got posted again. And this time, I actually worked really hard on it. I noticed how sloppy my resume was. I noticed that I actually didn't even have a, a decent interview outfit. And I actually had to go buy clothes that were appropriate for an interview. I worked really hard. And this time, I got an interview. And this time, I got the job. And when I walked into that job, oh my gosh, I realized it was the perfect time. It was everything was the perfect timing. I came in at a point where a particular project that came up that was exactly the right project for me. At a time when the previous um, leader had just left, and a new leader had just come on that was the perfect leader for me. She's my current mentor, and I, oh my gosh, we work so well together. And I learned so much from her. But more importantly, I was the right me. I would not have lasted two days in that job in my, with all my old character defects. Today, I am excelling at this job. They value me in this job. I show up to work as a real valued member of the team because I can and that's when I realized I let go of that old idea and God showed me that he doesn't withhold anything from me. He prepares me for the things he wants to give me. And in fact, he gives me things I didn't even know I wanted. That is the God I have. The next, um, you know, uh, the next kind of old idea that came up for me was I had this God that um, I call it the kind of a shoe dropping God, you know, where I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, especially when things are, are, you know, I feel like things are going well. I'm, I'm always living in fear that, like, when's something going to go wrong? When's something going to go wrong? When's the storm going to come? You know, because obviously the storm's going to come, but, like, when it's going to come? Is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? That's, that's kind of the world I live in, you know? And this kind of happened um, last year um, in the summer where basically my neighbors, I live in a condo, and, and my neighbor's shower started leaking into mine, and the water started to come up from under my carpet. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, somebody who's just learning to grow up and be an adult, worst nightmare. I had all these contractors in my home. They had to tear down the tiles of my shower. I had open drywall everywhere from them investigating the problem. And, and finally, they figured it out that it's my neighbor's shower and my neighbor has to fix it. And now they have to put back my whole washroom together. And that's when we realized that my neighbor actually hasn't fixed his washroom because the water is continuing to leak. Um, so that my contractors had to stop all the work they were doing pause everything because we can't fix it until my neighbor fixes his part. And, and we're waiting and waiting. We're in the middle of COVID. So, you know, totally get it. People have other priorities other than, you know, their home renovations. And I am losing my mind. I am living in a home with open drywall. No, you know, I can't use my shower. Um, you know, my carpet is awful and wet and like ugly. And I, and I, and more importantly, I have all these contractors that I, like, are on pause. And who knows if they'll just walk away and leave me and 
and I'll be left with just open drywall forever. That was where my head was. I will live with no shower and open drywall forever. You know, and, and my, you know, I, came, I, I, I was in touch with my um, property manager, and he was like, you know, Crystal, like, the neighbor has agreed to not use his shower, like, until they fix it eventually. But, um, and we have that agreement from them, just close up your shower. But it was like, no, absolutely not. You will not take me for granted. Just because I'm a single girl and I know nothing about renovations, I will not be fooled by any property manager or contractor. I'm not closing that up until my neighbor shows me and proves to me and I see with my own eyes that he has fixed his shower, you know? Um, because obviously if I fix it, then the next shoe is going to drop, right? One day more water will come out and then I'll have to do this whole thing again. So I waited for weeks and then finally one of my contractors called and said, you know, Crystal, I'm sorry, like, it's been on hold for a long time. I just want to let you know that, like, I actually just got a job in a different city. So if we don't fix this by Wednesday, which is, I don't know, two days from now, um, we're looking at a month out. You're going to have to just stay with this for a month because I won't be able to come in and close up your shower. I went into full panic mode. I called my sponsor. We were on a video call. My sponsor was literally like, did somebody die? What happened? Because I literally looked like a complete panic, you know, and that's where we stopped. We paused. We worked the steps. We looked at my patterns. And after working that through, I went down and I talked to my, project, my uh, property manager. Now that we'd worked through the fear and the pattern of this whole shoe dropping idea, you know. And I went down to my, project, my uh, property manager and he was so kind to me. He came up with me to my condo and he said, let me show you. And he explained it so clearly to me and said, Crystal, see, because of how all of this is set up, and I can't even explain it to you because I don't fully understand, because of how all this is set up, you can close up your shower and nothing will happen. The, even if whatever happens with the neighbor, we'll be able to catch it this way and it will not impact your shower. And I still wasn't sure and I had my contractor speak to my property manager and they talked it out and it turned out that there was no problem. I could have closed up the entire shower weeks ago and I've been living with open drywall and no shower for no reason. And this is when it finally dropped. This is when I realized I see problems where there are no problems. For weeks, I had been on my knees asking God to fix a problem that didn't even exist. Can you, I can't even imagine God being up there like, Crystal, there's no problem. Close up your shower. And I'm like, God, please, please, please fix this problem for me, you know? And that's when I realized most of the time, there is no problem. So today, the moment I feel that panic, my, you know, and my instant reaction is, oh my gosh, here it is. Here's the storm. I, I have to pause. I go to God and I realize there is no problem at all. This is just normal, you know? And I realize my new way of living, my new God that I have is my God doesn't drop shoes. My God gets the exact right shoe, puts it on my feet, and walks with me. There is no shoe dropping in my world. The next pattern that came up was, in a way, you know, what I found in program is that pain is a lot easier for me to handle than happiness. Oh, my gosh, happiness is very, very frightening to me, especially when you have a God like the one I believed in or the one that the way I treated God, you know, is like happiness is terrifying because in my mind, God is careless with me, you know. So um, when things are going well, um, I have to be very, very careful. Like I, in fact, what I would end up doing is I'd create problems just so that I could feel like I'm fixing them and, and I'm safe. And the way that this came up was I keep creating food problems. You know, I've been asking for so long and still, like, I would bring all these ridiculous food problems to my sponsor. 
you know, once or twice, it's like, okay, let's work through the actual food issue. And then she started noticing, like, every time things are quiet and good, suddenly I bring these weird problems to her. Like, you know, it'll be things, just silly things that either, either it's like, oh my gosh, new food has come up, I must give up a new food, or um, I need to find the exact, exact way to measure this particular thing. And initially, okay, we'll work through that food problem. But then I started bringing things like, you know, I, I bought a, a shower gel from Bath and Body Works and it has honey in it. Do you think that's a problem? What if the honey seeps through my skin? I'm not even joking. That's a real story. I actually did that. I kept that body wash in my car for a, a week because I was too afraid to bring it into my home. Um, I called my sponsor. I, I was in a panic because I, while I was cutting up my pear, um, I missed a seed and, and I, I swallowed a seed and I don't eat seeds and nuts. Obviously, like I've lost my abstinence. Like these are the things I started to bring to her and she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like what's going on here? Why do you keep creating these weird food problems? And that's when we noticed, you know, I live my life with all of these precise rules because I believe that God is careless, that I have to keep myself in line. I have to live by these very exact rules about not just my abstinence, not just my food, but also how I work program. Exactly two meetings a week, not a meeting more, not a meeting less. Exactly one call a day, not a call more, not a call less. Once I've made that call, I don't need to make any more calls. Someone calls me, I, I don't need to talk to them. I've made my one call. And if I don't make that call, all, like I'm in a complete panic, frantically calling people at 10 p.m. at night. You know, that, It's exhausting. It is exhausting to live your life by that kind of a rule book. You know? And I finally got to the turning point because I, I can't. Like, when your life gets bigger and bigger and it expands outside of your couch and the, the you know, crinkly bag you have your hand in, you cannot live like that. Well, I could not live like that. You know? And so that's when we paused. I was at a turning point. My sponsor pointed out to me. And she had me write down all my rules put it on paper, and we talked about every single one of them. And some of them made sense. It, it was important for me to stay absent in that way, kept it that way. Other ones were completely ridiculous, like the honey and the shower gel. Those just needed to like, just be thrown away. You know? And now, um, and then the other ones, especially the program, you know, about like the meetings I go to and the, all of those kinds of things, what I realized is those aren't rules. I don't have to make calls. I don't have to get to meetings. I get to make calls. I get to go to meetings. I get to do my step work. And when I switch that thinking, now I do more program work than I've ever done when I had rules. Because now I'm not doing it because I have to and because it's a rule. I'm doing it because I want to. I get to. It's a privilege to do it. You know? And so today I, am, I know every day that my abstinence and recovery doesn't come from me or my rules. God is not careless for me. God with me. God fights for me, and God is the one who gives me my abstinence and recovery. And uh, the, the last story I'll share with you, uh, one that's actually very recent, it literally was like a, a month ago that, that this happened, was, I mean, this whole year, um, you know, I've been struggling so much with being single. Um, and, you know, this may seem like a, I don't know, a small problem to other people, but for me, this is a deep, deep fear for me. I've never, other than the one guy that I dated, you know, two years ago, I've never dated anyone. And I have this deep fear that I will be the one person that just is always alone, never gets to experience romantic love, and will just die alone and be miserable. That's just my deepest fear. And pretty much everyone who does my step, like who receives my step 10 knows this. Like this is my constant step 10, you know. Um, and just about, you know, a little more than a month ago, I, I had met this guy, um, you know, after, after a very long time, obviously. And I met this guy. We talked for a little bit. I felt like we hit it off. And then he just disappeared, just totally ghosted me, didn't call me back. And that hurt more than 
anything has in a long time, you know, and I, like I had to work this, I did more fear and resentment inventories in probably 20 to 24 to 48 hours than I've done in probably months, you know, and, and since then, like I just, it was every day, the same step 10 over and over and everyone on my step 10s could hear the, the, the depth of self pity, you know, in all of this and, and the fear behind all of this. For me, it was, see, it's not about this guy even. Um, I mean, it kind of would have been nice to have the guy, but it's not even about the guy. It was, see, it's evidence. God is not going to take care of me. You know, God, like, I have, like, I'm alone in this. I'm going to die alone. That's what I was going to, you know. And finally working with step 10s like crazy, eventually one day, you know, after about uh, a week of doing that, the insanity was finally removed. The obsession was removed. And I, I was restored to sanity. But I was miserable. Every day I was waking up, I was so sad all the time. You know, I would wake up in the morning and I'd be like, okay, God, please just help me get through today. You know, I just need to sit through work, you know, have my three meals, do my program work, and I'm sure soon it'll be time for bed. You know, 8, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. is going to come around really soon. It'll be time for bed. And after doing that for about a week and being miserable, I finally told my sponsor. And I was like, this is where I'm at. I'm really miserable every single day. You know, and then my sponsor pointed out, finally, you know, we thought about it. We, I took it to prayer. And, and finally, she called me later, and she was like, you know, Crystal, like, you're single. You're not really taking any action to meet someone, so obviously you're not meeting anyone. Why don't you join a dating website? Why don't you take some action? And, and this is the line I've been waiting for my sponsor to say to me for the longest time. Crystal, I'm giving you my blessing. You may now be in a dating relationship or go on a dating app. And my response to her was, why bother? You know, that, that sounds too easy at this point. I, and I couldn't believe it. And then, finally, and then my sponsor was kind of like, okay, I mean, I guess if you're not ready, then, you know, okay, let's just wait a little bit longer and see what, see what God says. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, this is the thing I've wanted for so long. Why am I talking myself out of it? Like, well, what am I doing? And I put down the phone and I was finally disgusted with my own self-pity it had finally become objectionable to me. I finally saw that when I even got what I wanted, I couldn't be happy because misery was more comfortable. And I just didn't want to be that way anymore. And I got on my knees and I said this prayer that I've been saying every day is, God, you know, I don't care what I look like, what I sound like, who I am with, where I live. I just don't want to be like this anymore. On your terms, and in your time, please remake me as you will. And I've been saying that every day since. And I called my sponsor the next day, you know, and I said, you know, I do want to get on a dating app. I do want to start taking some action. You know, and I really think that, like, God wants me to also. I, and more importantly, I don't want to live in misery just because misery is comfortable. I don't want to be that kind of person. And what I realized is, the pattern in my head is that God is closest to me when I'm, when I'm happy, God is far away. And when I'm upset or sad or miserable, God is closer. And so that means I am safer than when I'm miserable because God is closer to me. And the moment I said it out loud, the moment I actually, you know, pointed out and named that pattern, I noticed it and I named it. That's when I realized how ridiculous it sounded, like how ridiculous it was. And I was able to get to the turning point and say, I don't want to think of God that way anymore. My God is bigger than that. And I realized that the, the, the truth is, 
that all the happiness in my life comes from God. He gives me happiness to enjoy it. I can't imagine, you know, if I, if, you know, if I give someone a gift and, and they're so terrified of using it that they just like keep it to the corner and don't even use it. When I give someone a gift, the, the best gift for me is to see them enjoy it. You know, and I'm sure that that's what God wants for me, but I, I couldn't even do that. And what I learned is that God, there is no distance change between me and God. Like God is always the same distance from me, which is no distance. Like God is always holding me super tight. God is always right beside me. If any distance changes, it's because I move. And what I realized is when I'm happy, I kind of push God aside. And so today, every day in the morning, what I ask God is, God, when I'm happy, show me, teach me, use this time of happiness. Because right now I'm in time of happiness, which, by the way, is very uncomfortable. Um, In this time of happiness, show me how to be happy. Teach me how to stay close to you in happiness. And I know I'll get it wrong and I'll forget about you, you know, because I'm, you know, the world of dating is, you know, it's both nerve-wracking and, and awful and, and fun at the same time. And I get a message and it's the best day ever and I don't hear back and it's the worst day ever, you know. And on those days when I get a message and I'm happy, like, yeah, I forget God for a little bit. I don't have to beat myself up. I just so God, oh, I forgot. Can you show me again? How do I come back to you? How do I be happy with you? That's the God I have today. And, you know, what I've learned is that through these steps, the real journey of these steps, the real um, steps for me, is this pathway of where God is replacing my stony heart with a real, live, breathing heart. A heart that can experience the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. So, like, being recovered is not about being in this like, state of zen for me. It's about being able to experience the highest and the lowest points of life, every human experience, and, and just and experience it and live through it and not self-destruct. You know, and that's not something that's going to happen overnight. You know, God will not just suddenly remove these old ideas from me because, because that would be very painful for me. You know, he shaves them off one bit at a time. When I'm ready for one layer to come out, it will. You know, and, and the best part is, this is, my, this is the part that blows my mind. Like, I have not worked on this a single day. Like, I've never woken up and been like, today, I'm going to work on my relationship with God. Today, God is going to be patient. I'm going to treat God like God is like this. I've not done that one single day. Because God told me not to. I, don't, I never pretend that my relationship with God is anything but it is. I, you know, I don't use a little slogan to, to slap on a situation and be like, okay, this too shall pass. Don't worry. You know, or I'm mad at God today. I'll just make a gratitude list. Or I'll just, you know, I, I can't be mad at God. No, like, I'll be honest. I'm like, today I, I'm devastated. I don't understand what God is doing here. You know, why is God doing this to me? I'll be honest where I am and I'll tell God that, you know, and that's such a gift for me because I never could be honest with God before because I was terrified he'd leave me. Today I can tell God that I don't get what you're doing and it hurts a lot. And it would be really, really great if you could just make this go away, you know, because it feels really unfair, you know, and uh, that's as far as I can go. I can't really say anything, you know, more, more, um, more real than that at the moment. But, but that's, that's a huge step for me to even say that to God and know that he's not going anywhere, you know, because God today gives me, gives me real evidence. He shows me each of these stories I've told you, these are little evidences or little, little pieces of proof that go into my mind, you know, and, and, it, and it shows me that God, um, that God is not going to leave me because the God today knows that I will forget all of this. And I tell God all the time, like, you know, I'm going to forget this, right? Like immediately after I have this huge realization, I say to him, like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to forget this, right? And what I heard from God is, 
Like, I know. Don't worry. I enjoy reminding you. I'm not disappointed when you forget. It's, it's almost like I get this excitement of like, how am I going to show her again today? How am I going to woo her again today? You know, he gets to make me fall in love with him every single day. Um, and today, I call my God Papa. I don't even know where that came from. Like, God is Papa. I wake up in the morning, it's good morning, Papa. You know, and he's with me all the time. And my prayer time is not even me doing a lot of talking to him or, or asking from him. It's usually just, here I am, Papa. Love me. Hold me. It's usually him just holding me really tight, you know, in my prayer time. And I kind of see God a bit like Adam Sandler in that movie, 50 First Dates, where he's dating this woman who has uh, amnesia. And every day she wakes up, she forgets that she's married to him, and he has to kind of remind her and woo her all over again. That's, that's my God. Every day I wake up, I forget. I forget that he loves me. I forget that, he's, that I don't have to earn his love and trust, and he's not going to slap me down if I do something wrong. And, and every day he reminds me again, and he never tires, and he never will. And he keeps fighting for me. And, and the beautiful part about all this is that, and by the way, I'm still afraid of him, I'm sure. New life experiences will come up, and, new, I, and I will discover how afraid I still am of him. And he will slowly remove that fear over time because there's no end to the depth with which he will pull me into himself. You know, and one day what I hope is to have the relationship that my I see in my sponsor, you know, she sees him in everything, everything good and bad. In every moment she knows that God has got her and she sees awe and wonder in the smallest things. And one day I hope to have that too. And I know I will. If, if, if her story is a, is an indication of where I will be, you know, years from today, I can't wait to be there. You know, and it's going to be a beautiful, exciting journey. My life today is wonderful. And that doesn't mean that it's easy because it's really not. It's really, really not. You know, but it means that it's full of wonder. And I'm so grateful because I get to be fully alive for it all. And I get to walk through this world and this life with a God that loves me and the God that is my Papa. Thank you for letting me share, and I hope that something I've said helps somebody on the line today. I pause. Thank you very, yeah, thank you very much, Crystal. You certainly did, point by point, unravel and wrap that idea of the turning point and gave so much of yourself today. Brilliant. Thank you so much. We'll ask Crystal for her contact information at the end of this meeting, at the conclusion of this meeting today. So be sure and stay with us for that. It'll be coming up for us. If you want to have this recording available to you at all times, I will give you the share ID number for today. That's Sunday, March 14, 2021. And that share ID number is 16579-16579. So now the lines will be opened for questions. If you have a question for Crystal P, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad. Offer your first name, the first initial of your last name, and even perhaps your state. And once you've asked your question, I would just ask that you immediately press your star one key function again to remute your line. Who would like to ask Crystal a question this morning? Cynthia C. Weather H. Cynthia, Sherry, and Loretta. Did you say Sherry K? Yes. Okay. Sherry K. And then I heard Clea J, I think. Yeah. Anyone else this morning? Okay, let's 
in the interest of time, let's Stacey get Keaton on these questions. Stacy K. I got to Stacy. Oh, thanks, Mel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is what we have so far. Um, everyone besides Cynthia, if you would please mute your line by pressing star one, please. This will help you understand how you need to come back on the line. So I have Cynthia C, Loretta H, Sherry K, Clea J, and Stacy K. Hi, good morning, Cynthia. Your question, please. Good morning, Melanie and Crystal. Melanie, thank you so much for your service. Crystal, that was just amazing. Thank you. It was just what I needed to hear this morning. Um, could you, you talked so beautifully about your relationship with God and developing that relationship and your honesty about that relationship. Could you dig down a little deeper into, you know, your daily 11-step practice, your prayer meditation or whatever your practice is? I would love to, love to hear what you do. Um, and if you do any, like, um, self-inventory looking at, like, daily at those fears and lies that you talked about. Uh, with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you for that question. That's you know, really great. Um, for sure. So for me, uh, first thing in the morning, the first words out of my mouth are usually, um, or first words that run through my mind are, good morning, Papa. You know, like, let's, like whatever happens today, you know, it's you and me kind of thing. And then um, after sort of the morning ablutions, I will, um, I'll get down on my knees and I'll pray my third step prayer. Um, which I can share with you. I wrote my own third step prayer. It's based on the big book prayer, uh, but it's my prayer. And uh, the way I wrote this prayer was, um, it actually is a compilation of, like I, with every sentence in the prayer, it's almost like a memory. It's something that I learned from a specific, um, uh, you know, particular event that I went through. And so even literally just this week, I added a new line to the prayer, to the prayer based on what I've learned this week, you know. So this is my prayer. I say, Papa, you are so good to me. You are the only reason I can even trust my own mind. Please help me. Please show me today how I can be useful to you and my fellows. Help me to ask first how I can be useful to you and my fellows. Um, when I struggle today, help me not to shut you out, but to stay with you and turn it over to you. If it is your will, please take my struggle away from me. If not, Please grant me the grace to accept it with humility. When I'm happy today, help me to cling to you even closer. And remember that all my happiness comes from you. But most of all, help me to be a good witness of your power, victory, mercy, grace, and unending love to those you asked me to help today. Papa, I surrender myself to you. Thank you for doing for me what I could never do for myself. And then I go, um, you know, I'll, I say a few more uh, prayers, and then I, uh, I go have my breakfast. I listen to um, a, a spiritual podcast from my faith, and then, and then I have uh, prayer meditation time every morning. So it's usually about um, at least a half an hour, but sometimes a little more, um, where I read from my faith literature, and, and then I pray and meditate. Pray and meditation for me, yeah, like the, the literature that I read kind of sparks something, and usually... Even in my faith literature, all I hear is program. Like, I hear program over and over, you know. And but most of the time, you know, sometimes it's a bit of reflection time, but most of the time it's just, Papa, hold me. Please just hold me. And he holds me really close. And while I'm doing that, usually I'll get really distracted. Like, I'll just have these thoughts that will pull me away, especially now because I'm kind of in the world of online dating. But like, oh, what did that guy say again? And what should I reply? And I wonder if he came up to me today. And, you know, all these little things happen. And, I remember a fellow said this, and I love it, um, and I think of it every day, is, you know, my mind's like a little puppy, and, um, and whenever, and the puppy just, just gets very excited and just, like, runs everywhere, you know, 
And all I have to do when that happens is pick up the puppy and put it back in the right direction. That's all. Pick up the puppy, put it back. But at no point do I beat the puppy. You know, because that's what I would do. It's like, Crystal, like you're distracted again. Like, come back to God. Like, what's wrong with you? But now it's just like, oh, all right, when I'm attending, I'm back, Papa. Can you hold me again, please? You know, and, and that's it. And then that's my kind of prayer meditation for the day. And then throughout the day, it's like whenever things happen, like I, I talk to, you know, I talk to God all the time and I'm, you know, checking with him all the time. And especially when I'm afraid, whenever I'm afraid, I, I love this. I've been, I've, ta- I've learned through programs to immediately pause, pause. And if I need to, like, even in the middle of the workday, I get down on my knees physically. Sometimes I actually get down belly flat on my, on my floor in my condo. It's a lot easier to do now that I'm working from home. But even when I'm working at work, I will go to a printer room, a washroom, wherever I need to go. I will put toilet paper down on the ground because that's gross. And I will get down on my knees if I need to. You know, and, and I will say, God, I'm powerless. I'm standing at the turning point and I'm asking for your protection and care with complete abandon. Sometimes that happens once a day. Sometimes it happens 10 times a day. But whenever the fear of resentment comes up, I do that immediately. And then I pick up the phone and I work the inventory immediately. I can't wait until the end of the day. It has to be done. If I have time to pee, I have time to do an inventory. So I pick up the phone and I call until somebody picks up. Um, And usually what comes up in those inventories is what is my lie about God? What do I believe about God? God won't take care of me. I can't be okay unless... Things go exactly my way. I have to take care of myself. And, and then I, you know, I get feedback from a fellow, I make the amends, and I continue with my day. And um, at the end of the day, I'm not, this one, I'm not very good, and I have to get, uh, I have, I'm asking God for help to be better at this, is at the end of the night, I do sort of a, a, a review where it's kind of like, I say, thank you to God for all the wonderful things that happen. I think of the times in the day when I was who he wanted me to be, I think of the times in the day when I was not who he wanted me to be, which is usually when I was selfish, self-seeking, dishonesty, and fear came up. I ask God to remove that and forgive me and make me into the person he wants me to be tomorrow. I pray for somebody else, you know, especially fellows that I talk to, people I care about, um, and sometimes people I don't care about and I really am unhappy with. And then I close off the prayer and go to bed, you know. Um, the way I don't do this well is that I do it when I'm very sleepy, and that's not good. Um, and so I'm asking God, to remove that and, and help me um, to do it in my full mind because he deserves my full time. You know, not just that, like when I give God my full time, my full effort, like I just, I just feel better and I, I get to be in a real relationship with him. You know, hope, I hope that helps. Thank you very much for the question, Cynthia C. Loretta H., you're next with your question, please. Good morning, Heidi, and good morning, Crystal. And thank you for your service and saving my life. This is Loretta A. from Dalton, North Carolina. And Crystal, your share was so God's grace. I could hear God's grace in here. I'm walking, and it's just it's a beautiful day. I'm just so enthralled. But my question is, is you talked about your sponsor, and this is kind of how I feel about had authentic serenity and that you're trying to emulate that in your life and you find that the more authentic your feelings and stuff are with your God that when you come to your relationships they become more authentic in their description or your presence so I just because authenticity is really um, hard for me as a 
you know, recovered person because I spent so much time in the booth being a fraud. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Laura. Loretta, did you have a Yeah, I just wanted to put a question in there for you. Yes, please. Authenticity that she's revealing to God is the authenticity that she now can reveal in her relationship. But, you know, the more authentic she is with God, does does that help with her relationship? I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Loretta. So I'm also, the line was a little choppy, so I'm just going to confirm what your question was. What I heard was, you heard that I try and sort of emulate the relationship that my sponsor has with God, and how has authenticity helped me kind of uh, grow in my relationship with God? Did I get that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, so first, you know what I'll say? Thank you, first of all, for that question. Authenticity has been, that's the only way I can do it. You know, um, so first, I actually don't try and emulate my relationship or my sponsor's relationship with God because I can't. She has many, many more years than me, and my sponsor always reminds me, you know, whenever I listen to her, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could have your relationship, you know, and, and she'll be like, Crystal, how old are you? And sometimes I'll make a mistake, and I'll be like, I'm 34, and she'll be like, nope, nope, how old are you? And I'll be like, oh, right, I'm three years old because I've been in recovery for three years. And she's like, yeah, you're a toddler. You're in the middle of your, you know, you're throwing your toddler tantrum, and it's exactly where you're meant to be. So today, my relationship with God is exactly where it's meant to be for today. And I don't emulate my sponsor's relationship because I absolutely cannot. You know, I, I am the worst actor ever. Like, I wouldn't even know how to do what she does, even if I wanted to. Because I don't know how you can trust someone like that, you know. So for me, it's all I can do, the best I can do is a really bad impression of somebody trying to imitate somebody who really trusts in God. Like, that's the best I can do. And I don't think God's interested in that, you know. I think all I do today is I, what I do do is I notice my sponsor's relationship and I desire it. That's all. That's all. I just want it. And I go to God and I say, God, one day I want to have what she has. I know you will make it happen. Today, I'm exactly where I need to be. I am as afraid and as close to you as I can possibly be today. Like that's just all I am capable of doing today. But tomorrow will be different. I will be closer to you tomorrow. And authenticity is the only way. There is no other way. Without the food and without my character defects, all I'm left with is me. You know, and when everyone else, if there's no one on the line and no one on the phone and no one to hear me, it's just me and God. There's no point in pretending. Like he already knows what's in my heart and in my head. I can't pretend to be grateful when I'm not. I can't pretend to trust him when I'm not, you know, um, and I don't pretend to try. So authenticity has been, is the only way, but it's also very frightening. So my journey has been letting go of this crazy idea that I can be anything other than authentic with God. And, and he has watched me slowly act and try and act and act and act and finally let go of this acting gig to just be myself with him. And, and I'm becoming more and more that because I'm less and less afraid of him. Does that help? Thank you so much, Loretta H., for your question. Now we're up with Sherry Kay. Your question, please, for Crystal. Hi. Thank you so much. This is Terry Kay, T as in Tom. And um, Crystal, what a beautiful share. Melanie, thank you for your service. I, I have a couple of quick questions. One is how do you discern, you know, that voice inside of you that you – you thought it was God, but was really you with, with actually God's voice. And the other is when you said you reached out to your sponsor, when you were 
going through some times that you needed to get back to working through them, what, what did that look like? Was that working all the steps or working four through nine? That, those are my two questions. Thank you so much for that question. Um, that's a really, really good question for me, especially because on, like, when it comes to hearing God's voice, um, I'll be really honest with you, I have no clue. Most of the time, I have no clue whether it's God's voice or my voice. Sometimes it's very clear. Like when I, when I did that exercise of God, like hearing God's voice, I, like of saying out loud what I thought God was saying to me, it, I knew it in the, like in the depth of my bones. I knew that that is not God. And I think part of it was because I recognized the voice. I had heard actual people say it out loud, and suddenly it was like, oh, like I remember that. You know, so that really, that really helped, you know. So sometimes it's really clear. Um, and I know it in the depth of my stomach. And I think as I recover more and more, that line to God, that I, I learn to trust my intuition more and more, you know, because God gives me evidence of that intuition. But, um, but most of the time, really, I don't know. I really don't know when it's God's voice and my voice. And when that happens, I do a few things. First of all, I get on my knees and I say to God, like, I am powerless. And truly, honestly, I have no idea what you want from me. I, I, what I do know is that I want to do what you want. I do know that. If you want me to do this or that, whatever you want, I want to do that. So please, I'm just going to do my best today. You just make it okay. You take care of the outcome. And if I do the wrong thing, I know you'll make it clear. You'll show me that that's the wrong way, you know? Um, and, and sometimes that voice is clear in, in hearing other people. Um, other people will call me. Like as an example, for the longest time, you know, I, I, I hadn't started sponsoring and, um, and I was so afraid and I didn't know whether it was the right time. And there's, you know, all of these kinds of things. And, and God made it so clear. Two fellows that I respect greatly called me on the exact same day and said, Crystal, I just, like, I have this intuition. You need to start sponsoring now. Two different fellows on the same day. And the next day I called my sponsor and I was like, okay, can you tell her about this experience and tell her that God wants me to start sponsoring. And, and I picked up the phone and the first thing my sponsor said to me was, Crystal, you're recovered now. You need to go get yourself a sponsee. And so it was just like God made it extremely clear to me. So sometimes he acts like that for me, you know. And other times I'm very confused. And usually what God says to me in those moments is, Crystal, go call your sponsor. And, I, and her, like she kind of, a third person helps. You know how the big book says we, we, we take it to a third person, a neutral person, and they can kind of help us to discern. But ultimately, my sponsor and I are not God. We'll probably make mistakes. We'll probably discern something wrong, and that's okay because God loves me so much, and he knows that we both just want to do his will, and he will course correct me. He will make it very clear that I've gone the wrong way, and he will bring me back the right way. Um, and in terms of how I work through these patterns, um, what really helped was when I first did my step four and step five, right in, so in my step five, I didn't just give away my inventory to my sponsor. As I was giving her my inventory, uh, we made a running list of all these patterns these old beliefs that kept coming up in every situation, every relationship, every resentment, every fear, these, these lies and these patterns. So I made this whole list of them. And then when I did my step six, it was actually a, a deep step six where uh, we sat, we looked at each of those patterns and we came up with what's the truth in them. You know, so it's not that, um, you know, each of those things, like it's not that God has precise instructions that I must follow to the T or I just snap down. That's not true. The truth is that's my old pattern. The truth is that God has all the answers. God is all-encompassing. God will guide me in every moment, especially when I make mistakes, you know? And 
So whenever these things come up, I actually go back to that book and I have all these patterns that I've identified and I read my patterns and I look at it and I'm like, oh, in this situation, this pattern and this pattern and this pattern have come up. And then I read the truth and I remember the evidence that God has shown me. That, oh, remember when that happened with the job? Remember when that happened with uh, that relationship? That's what God showed me. God doesn't withhold from me. God loves me and gives me things I don't even know that I want. So, uh, so seeing the patterns is part of my step work. But then on a daily basis, I do my step four through nine constantly, whenever fears and resentments come up. And when I notice that I'm doing the same step 10 over and over, that's when it's really helpful to pull out the pattern book and be like, okay, what's going on here? What's this pattern that keeps coming up? And what is the truth we identify? And then again, I can't remove it. I go to God. Please remove this pattern from me. I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm willing for you to take it away. I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Terry Kay, for the question. Kalia J, you're next, and then Stacey will come in after you. Hi, Kalia. Uh, good morning. Thank you both for your service. Uh, Crystal, you know, it was exactly what I needed to hear this morning, and as I wrote this question down, but it's been in my mind, um, when you talked about your, you know, having um, already have been in a relationship with Christ and in church and all that good stuff, um, I know I have kind of had this feeling like when I'm doing my my step work and, and reading, I don't do some of the things I used to do that I did as part of my meditation. And the questions come up, am I replacing OA with, um, and actually I wrote it, it's kind of like, you know, kind of it kind of got clear for me, but it has come in my mind and maybe it will help others. But can you talk about um, how you or what was, feelings you were having as you started working closer with your OA program and your steps and then the way you had, you know, been brought up in, your, you know, your own kind of religious pursuit, thinking that you had had that relationship with Christ prior to. Wow. Thank you for that question. You have just hit, like, the nerve for me. Because <laughs> um, I came into the program very, very religious. And, you know, I was, I was really... I really thought I was going to become a nun, you know, and um, this is one of my, it was one, it was one of my deepest fears in program was that program will take me away from my faith. That someday I'm going to reach a point where I have to choose between the God of my faith and program. And that will be, you know how they talk about in the big book, these are not easy alternatives, like to choose between an alcoholic death and, um, uh, you know, and, and choosing uh, to believe in God, that, that's kind of what that choice is for me. Both equal death for me. I can't live without my faith. I absolutely cannot. And I cannot live without program. I absolutely, I will die without program, you know? So that was the deepest fear. And, and what I did, you know, uh, because my pattern is when I'm afraid of something, I make rules and I make little barriers and walls to protect myself, you know? And so what I do what I, what I did was I would, I would surround myself with all of my very religious friends. You know, I'd like make friends with people. I didn't even like them really, some of them, like, but I'd make friends with very religious people um, because they'll keep me safe. By osmosis, they won't let me lose my faith, you know. Or I would, um, I would join all these like religious programs or something, you know. And, or I would just be um, very, very cautious all the time. If anybody said anything in an OA meeting that went contrary to my faith, it was like, it was just the heart palpitations, you know, and I just, I don't call them, don't talk to them. I can't talk to people who, who don't believe exactly what I believe. It's just, you know, all of these ways of trying to protect myself, 
you know, and this is not uh, a fear that has been removed quickly. This has been a slow um, removal because this is, I'm terrified of this, you know, so God has had to remove this slowly from me. And my sponsor has worked with me on this very patiently, slowly, carefully, and very kindly, you know, pointing out to me the same pattern over and over. And every time I'm willing to let go a little bit of it because God, like, I think God conspires with my sponsor. Like, honestly, like he keeps sending me life situations where this keeps coming up, you know, so I have to keep letting go a little bit and a little bit of this fear. Um, but slowly over time, I realized like all the, the religious stuff I was doing, I couldn't keep up with it because I was in, you know, three hour Bible studies and, you know, uh, prayer groups galore and, you know, all these things. And like program takes time. Like I have to, you know, I have to attend, I, I attend meetings, I make calls, I do my step work and, there's only so much I can physically do. And at some point, you know, I had to, I had to make choices. And it was very frightening because I believe that if I stop going to this Bible study, if I stop going to this prayer group, I'm turning away from God. And that's a terrifying thing to to think, you know, and slowly over time in in each situation, I, I realized that that's not my God, you know, that God loves me so much. And my faith doesn't come from showing up in this particular place at this particular time. Um, but actually, actually what really helped me was in realizing that I've gotten closer to God in program than before program. That's actually what really helped me, you know, that I knew I was not replacing the God of my faith because today I'm closer to the God of my faith than I was before. Program has given me the discipline and the ability to pray every day. I never could do that before program. I did a lot of talking about praying, but I couldn't actually pray. So my relationship with the God of my faith is closer today. So that actually really helped because it was evidence that Oli and God are not at odds with each other. They are not. I will never have to choose between Oli and God because I don't have a God who would ever put me in that situation. Oli is the path to the God of my faith. Oli takes me closer and closer to the God of my faith and helps me to let go of this idea that if I don't show up at this place at this time, God will hate me, you know? And it doesn't mean that I don't show up. I show up for my faith every day. You know, I do more for my faith now than I did, but like I don't do some things that I used to do, but what I do, I do with heart. And I don't, and I show up for the things I, I, I need to show up for for my faith because, because I get to, because it is a privilege to, not because I'm afraid of what God will do to me if I don't. And that to me is a real relationship with God. So I have come slowly over time. I have not convinced myself. I have not removed this from my own. But actually now thinking about it, that, that idea has been removed. Like God and my faith are not at odds. Always the path that takes me to the God of my faith. And God will never put me in a situation ever where I have to choose between him and, and OA. Because he brought me to OA. He saved my life in OA. Why would he do that if he wanted to take it away from me and have me die an alcoholic death? That is not my God. I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Clea Day, for your question. Stacy Kay, it's time for your question now. And it looks like we might have time for one more after Stacy if you want to prepare yourself. Hi, Stacy. Good morning, Mel. Stacy Kay in Colorado, compulsive overeater. Oh my goodness gracious. Crystal, I just so moved. I just been, you know, tears are flowing. I just love you. I just love the way you carried this message. It's just um, I always kind of get blown away when uh, people articulate so well um, their process, you know, because it, it's so helpful. 
And um, and I guess it's interesting that I didn't even know if I had a question when I put my name out there. Um, but I just wanted to say, be able to say that. <laughs> but my question, what came really was because of the last couple of shows, you mentioned sponsoring and then this whole thing about uh, your your faith and um, in your program. And, um, and I'm wondering about sponsoring and about being able, like, it's sort of like, you know, sometimes I know we can't give somebody their first step, but we can't really give them their second step either. But, like, it feels like sometimes I'm on this mission, you know, like I want them to, you know, get it. <laughs> and um, you just have said so many beautiful things, and I'm just wondering about your sponsorship and about how you, like, if you if you sponsor somebody that's um, atheist or agnostic or different faith or whatever, and, like, how you – how you go about that if if I know there's probably a lot to say and I can I can kind of guess some of the stuff you might say but I want to I'd like to hear like if you have thoughts around that thank you very much Stacey for that question um uh, yeah I can share on that like I I don't have a lot of experience with this so I won't pretend to be an expert um that's what I used to do in the disease uh but I can tell you what my ex- immediate experience is with my sponsee I I think she may be of the same faith background as me. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Either way, they're not of the exact same faith background, um, and it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Um, I remember when I uh, when I first talked to the sponsee, you know, um, and it was incredible because God, like God, gave me this sponsee. It was the same. It was amazing. It was like that week, two fellows called me and said, "You need to start sponsoring." The next day, I called my sponsor and said, "You, you should start sponsoring." And that week, I happened to make an outreach call to this person who was in relapse. I had called them, you know, two weeks ago. I hadn't spoken to them in, in you know, a long time, over a year. And I just thought of them, and I said, you know, let me see how they're doing. And, um, and we kind of opened up and were, were, was vulnerable in a way that, I was, that you know, I, I was amazed by. And so I called her again this particular week. And I was telling her this story, and she was like, you know, you won't believe this, but this exact week I was thinking I should ask Crystal to sponsor me, you know, and it was just so clear. Like, God was just so clear. Like, this is the sponsee for you, you know? And so we started working together. And, oh, actually, before we started working together, she said to me, Crystal, you know, I want you to know, like, I know you're new to sponsorship. Like, I'm in relapse, and uh, I would say I'm a difficult sponsee. You may want to talk to your sponsor about whether, you know, whether you can handle me. And I, I can't even believe this came out of my mouth because I don't even know that I would realize I believe this myself. I said, why? I don't have to do anything. And I realized that that's true. I don't have to do anything. My job as her sponsor, like I'll tell her what works for me, and and I get to watch what God does for her. This this journey of sponsoring, I realized, is me getting to be have a front row seat to watch God doing exactly what He did for me to somebody else. I don't need to orchestrate a thing, and not only that, I don't need to. I cannot. I couldn't make it happen for me. How can I make it happen for another human being? I can't even manage my own life. How in the world can I manage another human being's life? You know? So I have nothing to do with their first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seven, eight, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth step. You know? God's going to take them through everything. I just get to watch and share with her what worked for me. And it was incredible because I saw her take her step one this week, you know? And I did nothing. You know, we kind of got to the point where, we had read everything we could read for step one, and she, she was not at step one. She knew it. I knew it. She had not dropped into, you know, that real powerlessness, like that 
I'm ready to work this program, you know, like my hair is on fire. And I said to her, like, I can't do that for you. Like, that's you, you know, that's you and God. And you like, take it to God because that's what I did. I, that's what my sponsor told me to do. And so that's what I did. And the next day she called me in tears. She had had this moment. Like she took the action that I suggested she take. She called into Vision for You. That day she heard exactly what she needed to hear. And she had that moment. You are out of options. That's the voice she heard. And she was in tears and she said, I'm ready. I will do what, whatever I need to do. And I was amazed. I was like, wow, I did nothing. That was all God and all her. I just get to have a front row seat. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience in sponsoring tons of people, but I, I do work with a lot of newcomers. I talk to them very often. I don't even ask what their faith background is. Um, you know, if, if some of my faith background can help, I, I, I help, but I'm clear that, you know, this is just my faith background and if it's helpful to you, great. Um, but it doesn't matter because honestly, what I've realized is somehow we all seem to have the same weird ideas of God. Sometimes even if we come from different backgrounds, you know, it tends to be, cause I think, I think for me, at least my God was really me. It was this addict me inside, you know? So a lot of times what I share about my views and old patterns of God, people can relate to whether they're Christian, atheist, or any other faith, because I think we're all, we're all just full of fear, and they tend to be the same fears. I don't think our disease is very creative. I think it peddles the same crappy fears to all of us, you know? And so my experience can help somebody else, even though we're not of the same faith background. I hope that helps. Hello? So I can, can hi. Hello there. Good morning. Yes, hi, good morning. I got, oh, good. Um, I got bumped off the call. I had to dial back in. Thank you, uh, Stacey, for your uh, question and for the answer that you gave. You know, in an interest of time, since we have cozied up right to the top of the hour, I won't be able to take that last person for a question. I apologize for that, Crystal. But in the meantime, I wanted to thank you again for all of the depth and the weight you put into this turning point. We stood at the turning point, and you illustrated that absolutely beautifully, beyond measure. And the answers to the questions were so, so precise and, and spot on. Thank you very, very much for that. You offered so much to our, to our meeting here and to the archives that we'll be treasuring for a long time. So let's close today with the page, um, page 164. As we always do, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Let me read this for us. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we knew only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. <laughs> 